My name's Eric. I'm uh, actually the lead pastor of this place, believe it or not. Um, and I'm so happy you guys are here. Uh, thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us. And you have come on an amazing day because, yes, it's finally here. This thing we're calling One Mission is kicking off today. And let me tell you, this next few weeks of this church are going to be uh, transformative and amazing. And so if you've been a longtime member of E3's community, we're glad you're here. Uh, you're, we're gonna be seeing God move, I believe, in amazing ways over the next few weeks. If this is your first or second Sunday, look, we're glad you're here too. And you've also come in a great time because you, you're gonna hear and see what the DNA of our church is and what kind of gets us excited and what we're kind of not into and not gonna get excited about. I'm gonna kick off today with just talking about uh, the essence and introducing you guys to the idea of one mission, why we've called it that, what it means to me, what it means to us. Before we do that, I need to let you guys know about some really important things. So if you're uh, a member of E3's community, you know, we have these things called fridge folds, you know, church people call them bulletins or whatever. We normally hand them out. Today, you didn't get one, you got just one card, right? Um, we're not gonna do fridge folds for this series. This is what we're gonna have. And, and we have a little small Bible study that you can do or your growth groups can do. There's some additional content online. We want everybody as much as possible to be focused in on the essentials during these weeks. So after we're done with one mission, look, if you're like a super big fan of the fridge fold, just wait, they're coming back. We promise it'll be okay. In the meantime, bear witness or bear with us as we just kind of uh, get focused on some essential questions. Um, a couple things going on this week that I really wanna let you know about. Uh, as we kick this thing off, one of the things that we wanna do is bathe this uh, campaign and these weeks in prayer. So on Thursday, uh, we're gonna have a day of prayer just all day. And we're gonna have it in the annex, which is what we call this space right next to Red Eye up in the front retail spaces from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can just come, you can pray. You can pray for friends. You can pray for this community. You can pray for something else that God lays on your heart. Uh, there'll be guides there and it's just gonna be open. You don't need to sign up or anything. Just come because prayer is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing that we can do during this season. So please join us for that. Uh, the second thing is, like I said, I'm going to introduce you to one mission today, and uh, we're going to share some details with you, but we can't share everything. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to be ho holding uh, 10 what we're calling dessert nights, where it's just, yeah, boy, dessert fans right over here, like, okay. So, uh, so for the next couple weeks, 10 of these things where uh, you can come, you're gonna get a little bit more information than what you'll get today. And there'll also be an opportunity for you to ask some questions. I'm gonna be at every single one. So you can expect to see an expanding Eric over the next couple weeks. Um, but we want everyone to just have clarity on where it is we're going. So if, uh, here's how you can be a part of these things. If you are a part of what our what our online community is called my, uh, my E3, www.myE3.org. You probably already got an uh, invite, maybe in the mail, maybe an email. Um, just respond. If you go to the calendar, if you have a login at My E3, that calendar icon that's been circled in red, that has all of these things listed. You can RSVP through the calendar and just tell us you're coming because look, we want all you guys to be there, but we don't have desserts for every single one of you at every single event. So they're in people's homes, so we need to know who's coming to which event. 
uh, you can do that. Look, and if you're not in my E3, there's two things you can do. You can go to www.myE3.org and you can get a login. It's really quick. Uh, but even if you're not today, there's going to be people out in the lobby immediately following the gatherings. They will, they will RSVP for you, okay? They will be like, okay, we get you're not in with the 21st century just yet. Electronic RSVPs. Uh, they'll take care of it for you. So uh, that's what's going on. Okay, we cool? Everybody ready to go? You ready to meet one mission? All right. Okay. Uh, I want to start off by actually having us read uh, a statement together. This is going to form the framework of our time together. So let's read this together. We remember what God has done in our past so we can imagine what he'll do in our future. We remember what God has done in our past so that we can imagine what he'll do in our future. This is kind of an essence of uh, an essential of the spiritual life. Remembering how God has moved in, in our past, sometimes collectively, but sometimes individually, that helps us imagine what he can do in the future. And so as we go into this thing, these next few weeks together, I'm actually gonna start off by telling you some stories of what God has done in the past, not just uh, in E3's life, but in his God's own story in the Bible in general. So uh, if you don't know the story of E3, I'm gonna give it to you right now. It's really an amazing story. We just celebrated our, our 14th year. It's our birthday, just, it's our birthday season. We have birthday month, not just birthday day. And E3 actually goes back to this church uh, before E3 called Seven Hills. Any, anybody from Seven Hills here? Like, so a couple people, right? Look, if you're sitting in these chairs today, you're sitting here because of these people at Seven Hills. So you owe them a thank you. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you do. Seven Hills was a church that was in Tallahassee and they were looking for just a, a new pastor. How could they sort of take things to the next level in what God was uh, calling them to? And they were looking around and, and looking for people to come and respond to that call. Eventually, one thing led to another, and they met this guy named Mark McNeese in California. And uh, those two people, those two organizations, Mark and, uh, and Seven Hills, got introduced. And Mark came, and, and they said, would you be interested in being our pastor? And he said, no. And he said, but I'm interested in doing something new. Mark said, I want to create a church that has a space that is decidedly oriented around people who don't know God yet. A church that's going to be oriented towards people who can come in and they, their lives can be messy and we can introduce them to this God that we love. And so uh, the Seven Hills people agreed to that. And Mark uh, took them through this process where they decided to change the name to, to E3. And E3 launched over on Mayhan Drive right across from Costco in this crazy restaurant. And uh, this was 2004. They just, they held uh, their first gatherings and they were overwhelmed. Mark tells me this story. He's like, well, we expected like a couple hundred people, 200 people maybe to show up. And like 600 people showed up that Sunday. And they were overwhelmed. And they had obviously struck a nerve. They struck a nerve with people who wanted to have a place where they could go investigate God without getting that church shade thrown at them or that side eye of like, you don't look like you really belong here, do you? They wanted a place where they could come and do that. And E3 was a place where we're like, that's what we're gonna be about. Those are our people. And so they, they opened their doors and it was crazy cool. And uh, instantly they got so overwhelmed that they began to ask, well, look, uh, how, do we, uh, ex how do we make room for what God's doing? Because he's brought more people than what we expected. How do we accommodate these folks? How do we respond to God? And instantly they went into this thing that they called next step, 
which was a season where they said, what's the next step God has for us? And they expanded their worship space. They made it bigger so that more people could hear about God. And then they also, uh, they, they sacrificed so that they could make a, uh, an offer to a, a uh, musician in Chicago who uh, you know, was maybe gonna get a call to come lead worship. That was me. Uh, and so uh, in 2006, you know, they brought me down as a result of, of that next step campaign. And I joined the staff and I joined the community and we, and we just constantly asked that question, how do we make room for people who don't know God? How do we follow God into this? We worshiped together for a while and then we began to like say, okay, well, what's God doing next? How can we make room for more people, God? What are you doing next? And, uh, and we started to look for a home, like a facility that was different than a crazy restaurant on Mayhan Drive. And we had this property board that just searched for a facility literally for years, for years. Where can we call home? And then um, in around 2013, a church, another local church reached out to us and they said, hey, we're actually gonna, we're getting out of our lease and we're in a warehouse space. Maybe you guys wanna take it over. And we said, okay. And so we moved over here to 1184 Capital Circle Northeast and we made space again for more folks who were coming that wanted to know who God is and what he could do for their lives. And then shortly after that, the owners of this facility came up to us and they said, hey, um, you guys interested in buying this place? And we were like, what, what, you know, we would be landlords and we would have retail partners and, and uh, what would it mean to be landlord? But we, we, we sat and we prayed and we said, all right, we think this is the next thing you have for us, God. So we did this thing called Legacy. Everybody remember the, the Legacy campaign? We decided we needed to raise the down payment for this place. And so we all came together as a community and we invested our prayers and our hearts and we sacrificed and we raised the down payment to move into this place. And then it's become like a center for ministry, put a red eye in, retail partners, gonna have a, a, you know, a block party this afternoon. The story of E3 is constantly this story of people who, who are never gonna be complacent about asking what God is doing in their lives. E3 is a place that if like you've come and you're just like, well, you know what? I'm kind of just ready to rest in this church space. I never want to move forward again. You might not be in the right place because E3, our DNA is to say, we are not going to rest. We are going to move forward. We're going to look at constantly what is God doing in our midst and how do we respond to it? And what one mission about is about in one way is to say, we have a window of opportunity right now where we can respond to what God is doing. I don't know how much you know this, but uh, our numbers on Sunday are up. People are coming, more people than last year. Our kids' ministry is expanding. Actually, it's outpacing our Sunday attendance growth in this space. So that tells us like young families are coming. And so we, we are just sitting there going, God, we think more people are coming. We think more people want to be introduced to you and to our church. And so how do we open up our hearts like we've always done and ask how do we get one more person in? How can one more person, how can we accommodate more people, one more person that gets to know about this crazy love that God has for his people? So that's what we're here today to do. And what I wanna do is spend a couple minutes talking about the why. Why is this in E3's DNA? And so to do that, I wanna kind of start with this, uh, this one little verse in a book uh, called the Book of Romans. If you have a Bible and you know where Romans is, it's in the New Testament, kind of towards the end of the Bible. I wanna show you uh, in one statement um, kind of where this all starts. 
Romans was written by a church leader, early church leader named Paul. And he writes this to a church in Rome, in Romans 8, verse 14. And he simply says this, that all who are led by God's spirit are God's sons and daughters. All who are led by God's spirits are, son, are God's sons and daughters. You know, we just sang that song about like, we're a child of God. And Paul seems to be asking the question of here is like, look, how do you know who God's children are? And one of the things I want to kind of like just put in your head is like the different ways that God's people are sometimes known. Because let's be honest, right? Sometimes church does not have the best PR campaign. Sometimes uh, the way you would know God's people is not through the best of us, right? Sometimes it's through some things that we're not so proud of. How would you know, like sometimes it's like, well, how do you know who God's children are? Oh, they're the people who are always condemning everybody. Or they're the people who are always yelling and complaining and screaming about this, that, and the other. Sometimes, like, how do you know who God's people are? They're the people who wear, like, bad suits. I don't know. They're the televangelists. Right. Let's be honest. We do a lot of good things, too. How do you know who God's people are? Oh, they're the people who go halfway across the world to serve. You know, how do you know who God's people are? They're people who take time out of their Saturdays and, and work at a food pantry here. How do you know who God's people are? They, they, they invest in the lives of others through growth groups. But like, all those things are valid. But what Paul's saying here is this crazy, cool truth. He said, how do you know? It's the people who are led by the Spirit of God. And when he does that, he actually touches a thread in the Old Testament that is super critical, and, and it, it puts into focus all of this history of God and, and how we get to be where we are. And so uh, in the same way that a lot of people ask, well, how do you know like, who God's children are? Another good question sometimes that gets asked is like, what is God really like? You know, if we're about worshiping God and, and all this, what is God really like? And some of us, we have different baggages that we bring into that question. You know, have you ever uh, thought of God as like, well, if I had to answer that question, God is a really angry dude who's waiting to clobber me at the first sign of a stumble. Anybody? Has that ever been your baggage like for that question? What is God like? Maybe your, maybe your thought about what God is like is like, well, God's kind of like this old dude who sits in his rocking chair on the front porch and just kind of watches life pass by. And he's like, what's up? And he doesn't really get involved unless you play football on his lawn or something like that. But, but he's just kind of detached and he just kind of watches the world go by. Anybody ever think that about God? Like, what is God really like? Some of us might have the baggage of like, well, God, if I really was honest with you, Eric, and you're a pastor, so maybe I should be honest God's like a Santa Claus, and I expect him to give me what I want, when I want it, and if I don't get what I want, it's probably because I'm on the naughty list, or he's not a very good God, all right? Those are some of just the, the broad spectrum of baggage that people bring to that question. Now, as a, as a person of the Bible and as a person of faith, the first way I would say is like, you want to know what God is like, the first thing you need to do, you just, you go read these stories about Jesus. Because the Bible says, if you want to know what God's like, go look at Jesus's life. And that's how you'll know what God looks like. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these good news stories of Jesus, that tells you what God's like. And Jesus, pretty cool guy, pretty compassionate, arms pretty wide open, pretty loving to people, pretty, pretty focused on the outsiders, pretty, pretty in tune with self-sacrifice. But I think there's something else 
that identifies God. And that is simply this, that God is a God of mission and purpose. He is a God of mission and purpose. And in about five minutes, I want to show you why I believe that's true. You see, uh, uh, I believe in the story of the Bible that says that God created all of this thing and then he creates human beings and we are his prized possession. We are created to reflect his image, to be good and to do his work in the world. And we do a good job of that for about, I don't know, four paragraphs of text in the Bible. And then by Genesis 3, We've kind of made a mess of things. And if you know the Bible story, you know, it says that we kind of, we grabbed this fruit on a tree and then from that point on, nothing was ever the same. And there's a brokenness inside me now. And there's a, what I call a sidewaysness that just exists. That's what it means to be human. And like, we don't have to get hung up on this. Like, I would just ask it this way. Have you ever had a day where you woke up and you were like, man, today I'm gonna be a loving, peaceful, kind person? And by like 9.47, (laughs) you ever had a day like that? That's what it means to be human. What it means to be human is to say that, man, there's something inside of me that just somehow, uh, it it prohibits me from being the version of me that I really want to be. That's what it means to be human. That's what it means to have this brokenness. And so that happens. And, and what, the way this whole mission thing starts off is God is there when it happens. And his response is what starts off this whole journey. Because God, when people, when people rebel, when his prized possessions, they turn their back on him, they don't trust him, his response is to go ask a question. And he says, where are you? Not so I can clobber you. Where are you so that we can make this right? He is a God who starts going to search after his creations to make it right again, to restore and rescue all of creation of which humanity is a part of. That is his mission. And the rest of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is how that mission unfolds. So God calls a guy named Abraham. He says, Abraham, you are going to be the means by which I bless the whole world. You're gonna have a family, Abraham. And what I want to do through the whole world, restore it, rescue it, it's going to start with you. And Abraham trusts God. And he goes on this journey with him of faith. Then Abraham has a family. There is children. And then God says, look, all those kids you've got, Abraham, I'm going to do the same thing. They're going to be the means. If anybody ever ever had kids, if you're a parent, you'd be like, "You you cannot be serious. You're going to bless the world through those kids. Abraham was a parent, but he said, yes, God, I believe what you're gonna do. And God starts to work the restoration and the rescue plan through through Abraham's children. Abraham's children end up in uh, Egypt, the most dominant superpower empire of that age, of that area, and they get uh, enslaved. Because God is a a God of, of mission, he has to get the mission back on track. He's gonna restore and rescue the whole creation, but the means by which he's gonna do it is they're being held down by slavery. So God says, we gotta get this thing back on track. So he sets them free. And now I'm gonna pause here because he sets them free. He releases them from Pharaoh's uh, grasp and then they start wandering in the desert. And this is the phrase that uh, Paul, the guy who wrote that thing in Romans 8, this is what he has in mind 
when he wrote that. In Exodus chapter 13, there's an image that we're told about the text. The Lord goes in front of his people, in front of them during the day in a column of cloud to guide them. And at night in a column of lightning or fire, maybe you've heard it, to give them light. This way they could travel during the day and night. The column of cloud during the day and the column of lightning at night never left its place in front of the people. And Paul says, how do you know who the children of God are? They're the people who are following the spirit of God. And Exodus says, the spirit of God is out in front of his people gathering them. And when the cloud gets up and goes, they say, it's time to get up and go. And when it settles down, they say, it's time to sit down. That's the image, and that's what it means to be God's people, to follow the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is where, the text says, in front of the people, leading them. Now, the story's not done yet. So we go through the rest of the Old Testament, and it's this, this effort of God's people to get this thing right, this mission, and God gets to, the, to his son Jesus. And I don't know if you know this, but just in the same way that his people go out into the desert, and are led by the Spirit, the good news stories of Jesus say that Jesus is actually led out into the desert by the Spirit again. And then uh, through the cross and Jesus' resurrection, the kingdom gets opened up to everybody and the church gets created. And this brings us up to this uh, scripture that, uh, that Marlene read for us in Acts chapter one. So I'm just gonna read it again. And just kind of highlight what, I want, what I'm trying to kind of develop here is what the Spirit of God does for the people of God. And Acts 1, 7 and 8 says it in powerful ways. Uh, his disciples are asking, look, God, is it, is, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Are you going to come back now? And the way I paraphrase that is the disciples are saying, Jesus, is it time for the church to sit down? Because you're finally going to like be back and like fight all these battles and we can just like sit down and go, cool, Jesus, go get them. And Jesus says, no. He says, uh, listen, verse seven and eight. He says, uh, it's not for you to know when that's gonna happen. The times of the season that the Father has set, that's God by his own authority. He says, rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come, has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he says, no, church, it's not time to sit down. Actually, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that leads the church, that leads the people, is going to come, and you're going to be my witnesses. And then when he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, think of that as concentric, expanding circles. So they're right there in Jerusalem. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then he says, actually, you're also going to be my witnesses in Judea. That's the region that Jerusalem is in. And then he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. And that's kind of an uh-oh for, for, for those uh, who are hearing this because the Samaritans are like the, the frenemies of, uh, of his disciples. They were related kind of cousins, but their faith was different and they did not like the Samaritans. And Jesus says, actually, the Spirit's going to lead you there. And then he says, actually, and the Spirit's going to lead you to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be the people of God? It means to follow the Spirit. Exodus says the Spirit's always leading God's people. Jesus is speaking in Acts 1. He says the Spirit's gonna lead you out and it's just gonna go and go and go. And it's our job to follow, to follow, to follow and get it. There's never a, there's never a time that we've arrived. I think that every time the church thinks it's arrived, like bad things start to happen. 
Every time that we think, okay, this is now, we've, we've got it. We don't need to go any further. Holy, the Spirit's not gonna move anymore. Trust us, we know. And the Spirit just goes on. And these churches sometimes get left behind and, and, uh, and that's where some of this side eye gets developed. Because people think the Spirit would never lead us to those people. And so when those people start showing up in your lobby, they'd be like, oh, I don't know if you belong here. Because the Spirit's moved on, and we're kind of more just in, in, in complacency mode. Now, let me just show you what this looks like uh, in culture, right? So there's, a, there's companies, uh, businesses out there that at one time, they weren't just businesses. They were like cultural references, and yet something happened. So I got a list of them. Just the first business, Dell Computers, all right? These have not gone out of business, but there was a time when like, I mean, it seemed like every other computer you looked at was a Dell computer. And then over time, they failed to evolve to the next thing that was happening. And now their business is, is still vital, but it's not what it was. Next one, uh, Sun Microsystems. Now, I'm not a computer geek, but there was a time when like this company, Sun Microsystems, they had these things called servers. They built servers, which centralized computing. And they dominated the business landscape, technology. They just didn't see that what was coming was actually decentralized networks. And now, they're not nearly what they were in the 90s. Next, a little more familiar. How many like just had like a flashback to all the fees that you still owe Blockbuster? <laughs> you know who you are. Blockbuster, I mean, that was, man, that was crazy. You could go and you could get videotapes and then you could get DVDs and it was rocking, man. We just, it was a part of, my, a part of our Friday night, weekend life. But Blockbuster did not see this little company called Netflix that was like, hey, what if we mailed DVDs to people? And Netflix took Blockbuster out at the knees, right? They did not see it coming. Next, Sony. How many people had a Walkman or a Discman? Oh, man. You know, children of the 80s and 90s. This was everybody had these things. And, and, they, and they were dominant. They were a dominant tech company, consumer electronics. They're not anywhere near the voice they were. Next, Sears. My mother retired from Sears after 20-some years, man. And in the 80s and 90s, you wanted something. You wanted a tool. You wanted clothes. You, you go to Sears. I go to Sears now, and I just get depressed. You know, they're just not nearly the force or even the cultural landmark that they were. And then this might be too soon, but the last one. <laughs> da, 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 you know? So what all these companies have in common, and get it, I, I, I get that business is complex. And most of the time there's more than one thing that leads from, from a dominance to, to just kind of mediocrity. But at some point, somebody just got a little bit complacent. And they said, we don't think we need to respond to this little Netflix company. They'll never, that'll never change our business. Complacency is an absolute, uh, it's asking for mediocrity. And so E3 will never be a complacent church when it comes to asking what God is doing in our midst. We just won't. It's part of our DNA. That's how we started. That's how we're going to keep going. 
And, and so we think that God is doing something. We know God is doing something. We see the people coming on Sundays. We hear the stories of life change. We baptize people. And it's our job as the leadership of the church, wise counsel, myself and the staff to say, how do we respond? How do we respond? We respond the way we've always done. And we say, it's time to make room for more people. Make room, more room in our hearts to continue to be a place where like you are not gonna get shade, you are not gonna get side eye, you're not gonna get the, the, the sort of like Christian, well, I'm gonna pretend they didn't see me, I'm gonna run over here and get a cup of coffee, so maybe I'll have to have a conversation. We're not gonna be that church. We're gonna be a place for messy, broken people to come and meet God. That's, where, that's who we are and that's where we're going. But as part of that, we also need to, to look at the physical space that we're in. Because just like uh, back at Next Step, they said, man, more people are coming, we have to make more room. We're in a situation where if more people are coming, we need to be prepared to respond to that. And we're gonna do that in a variety of different ways. So what we're gonna do is, is make some upgrades to our lobby, to our student ministries, to this space. To make those spaces more connective to people, to make them more welcoming, to make them a place where people can hear God's story more clearly. To, to accommodate the kids that are coming, we're gonna relocate E3 kids from the front retail space to the back warehouse space. We can all be under one roof. We don't have to watch uh, parents walk in across the parking lot to get kids. It's gonna provide increased square footage, but it's also, more importantly, going to be rebuilt and redesigned to be a creative, amazing space for the kids because the kids are coming and they usually come attached with parents. <laughs> the last thing we're gonna do, we have to do is uh, resurface and address our oh-so-sad parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I have, uh, I've never been so excited to think about paving uh, someplace, but uh, it's, it's got structural damage, there's potholes in it, it's not safe, it's not clear, it's not welcoming. These are the things that we're going to do because that's what God is calling us to do, to make room, to expand our capacity to reach the next wave of believers, all right? So I don't know if this is gonna be a shock to this, none of this stuff is free, okay? So uh, if you've come to E3 for the first time or if you're just like, oh, this is the part where he's gonna ask for money and the church has always asked for money, look, just put your, hand, put your fingers in your ears. It's okay, you don't have to listen to this. Go get a cup of coffee, right? This is for the people who call this place home because this is our DNA. The price tag for all this stuff is gonna be about $500,000. Now, if you look at our weekly giving and our weekly need, uh, we're not gonna get there with tithes and offerings. This is sacrifices above what we give on Sundays. But we've done this before. We've done it multiple times before. And every time the community has come together and made sacrifices to reach, to respond to what God's doing. So we're going to be raising this money over a three-year period. And this season is to prepare our hearts to take that step. And it's gonna be amazing. And I wanna circle back to, again, the, the deep question of why do we do this? Why do I do this? Why am I standing in front of you saying these words? And I wanna do it with the words that Jesus uh, has spoken in, in, in John chapter six. It's a, a phrase that's been seared into my mind and my heart lately. So it's this amazing uh, episode in Jesus's ministry where he preaches this message. He talks to his followers and they don't like it. 
Can you imagine? Like they're so offended, the texts say that his disciples start to leave because he said some challenging words. So much so that Jesus looks at his 12 closest followers and he says, do you wanna leave too? And man, I don't know what's going on in Jesus' heart right there, but there's something so human in that where he just looks at people leaving and he looks at his 12 closest, he's like, are you gonna leave too? And then this is the phrase that has been just burned into my heart and my mind lately. Simon Peter answers, he says, Lord, Jesus, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and know that you are God's holy one. I do this because there are so many people in this room and in Tallahassee that desperately need to hear the words of life from Jesus. And since he hasn't come back yet to do it himself, guess who he is charged with giving those words? You and me. We give the words of life in our growth groups, in our serving teams, and on Sundays. And I do that because, look, I've met enough people, I've met enough of you to know that if you want words of death, if you want words of apathy, you can get that all day long, all week long. But we are about words of life. We are about words of life to people who have heard nothing but like you're a loser, you're a reject, you don't matter, you never will matter. God doesn't love you. There's no room for you. And the words of life that, of the Jesus I know says, no, 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 you have no idea what I have for you. You have no idea how far I can take you. You have no idea how, how much I can just infuse your life with, with eternal life. Remember, at E3, we don't believe eternal life starts when you die. Eternal life starts now. You can taste it now. We give the words of life now because people are hungry for it. And we've seen it. And we're gonna make more room for people who need the words of life. This is what we do. We will not stop. How do you know who God's people are? They follow the Spirit, and the Spirit is always leading to more, and we're gonna respond like we've always done because people need the words of life. We're gonna make room for more people. We've already done it. You know, we're all sitting here because of the sacrifices of people five, 10, 15 years before us. You're sitting here on the shoulders of people who sacrificed to put you here. And we're gonna make our sacrifices. It's our turn. And we're gonna write a story. We're gonna write our chapter. That's what we're gonna do. And let me just kind of put this really personal. We've already made room for a friend of mine who about a year ago, he had been coming on Sunday, reached out for me, said, can I have a cup of coffee with you? I said, sure. He said, uh, some of you guys have heard me tell this story. He says, hey, I'm, just to let you know, like, I'd probably call myself agnostic. I don't even know if I believe in God. Is it okay if I come to your church? There would be a time that if a church got complacent, they were like, actually, no, we, we don't know about that. I said, bro, where else would you rather, where would I rather have you be? And another friend of mine who was a, he would just say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe it. And I've got so much rage and anger in my heart. We made room for that guy. 
And he heard God speak a word to him that changed his life forever and gave him a mission and a purpose and turned his life upside down. We made room for that. We've made room for, 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 uh, for addicts who are saying, look, if you wanna know how messy my life is, I'm gonna tell you, will you accept me? And when we say, look, we're all messy people, bring it. We've made room for all of those people and we are gonna make room for more because God is in the messy people business. Single moms who would say, look, I made some mistakes in my life. Is there room for me? Yes. Do you need the words of life? Then yes. People have just said, man, I, I, I've just seen my, my whole world turn upside down. Down is up and now up is down and I don't know what's going on and I'm hurting. Is, is, there, wor- is there room for me here or do I need to be a perfect person with everything figured out? Yes, there's room for you. That's who we are. That's who we've always been. That's who we're gonna be in the future. We look back to see what God's done in the past and we say, this is what he's gonna do in the future because we're gonna follow him on and on and on. So, Here's uh, the way I'd like to kind of uh, wrap this thing up. We're gonna be calling uh, ourselves and binding ourselves and orienting ourselves around two prayers during this season. And they're just gonna come up over and over again. And the prayers are simply this. First, uh, God, who do you wanna reach through me? The kingdom grows life by life. It grows through your friends and your family and your coworkers. Who do you wanna reach through me, God? And then, God, what do you want to give through me? And we're not, going to get to, we're not going to get to where we need to go without coming together in unity the way we always have. God, who do you want to reach? And who do you want to give? Or who do you, and, and what do you want me to give? And so what we're going to do is actually take a couple moments now. I'm going to pray, but then I'm going to give us all space to pray those prayers right now, maybe for the first time. And to kind of see if a name starts to come up or, or just some image starts to come up. And then the band's going to sing a song. We're going to sing this song. This is going to be our anthem for this series. It's called God With Us. So if you don't like it, tough. You're going to hear it for the next five weeks. Because it's just a reminder of who we believe God is. And it's got this amazing bridge that just comes to, it comes and just cements and brings home everything. Where there was death, you brought life, Lord. Where there was fear, you brought courage. And I'm all about that, man. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna give you guys a couple seconds to start these prayers yourselves. And then we're gonna sing together. Let's bow our heads. God, uh, thank you for your story. I thank you that you were a God of mission because God, if you weren't a God of mission, I doubt I would be here because you reached out to me when I was far away and when I didn't know which end was up in my life and you said, come home. You said, come home before I had things figured out, God. My life was a mess and you still do that now, God. I pray as we just kind of settle our hearts God, that you would start to bring to mind who would you reach through us and what would you have us give? We're just gonna take a couple moments and ask you guys to begin to pray those prayers and we'll sing together in just a a couple moments.